Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. We are simply delighted that the Lord has brought you here this morning. Whether you are here for the first time or the thousandth time, it doesn't matter. It is the Lord who brought you here today. I hope that everybody had a very happy Thanksgiving this past week and that you are excited about the season at hand. To that end, doesn't the sanctuary look just beautiful? I, I tell you, thank you so much to all of those who came out to decorate it. It just looks fabulous. We're, we are thankful, of course, for a warm, dry building on days like today. But the beauty of this place of worship is also such a blessing. And we are here today to worship. But first, let me just direct you to your bulletin. All sorts of things are going on, like the fact that this coming Saturday, we are having our annual community holiday dinner from 3 to 6 here at the church. Now, this one, as I said last week, is a hybrid dinner, meaning that if you want to come and eat here, you may do so, but we need to know if you're coming so we can prepare the space. And if you want to go through the drive-thru, you can do that too. But again, all meals, whether eaten here or picked up, they need to be pre-ordered, okay? So you can call the office, you can do it that way, but make sure that you do that. And thank you in advance for your support of our youth group. And, and thank you in advance for all those who are working so hard to make this happen. Now, um, did I miss anything, Christy or Carrie? Did I? We good? Okay, good. So be aware of that. And again, thank you in advance. Now, another big announcement. One week from today, okay, one week from today, immediately following the morning worship service, we will be having our annual stated congregational meeting. We'll be electing congregational officers. We'll be voting on the budget. Speaking of which, a copy is available in your bulletin this week. Okay, so check your bulletin. If you have any questions, see one of the deacons, see one of the elders. But the budget is in there. Um, we're going to get an update on sanctuary refreshing and, and deal with whatever else comes up. So that is one week from today, and it's going to be after the worship service, before Sunday school. So... Be aware of that. All are invited to attend, but only members may vote, of course, and members, we do want you there. Now, there are other things going on. There, there's stuff in your bulletin, like the, the insert for women's ministries. Youth group tonight is at 5.30, but I'm going to let you find the rest. We are here today to worship. And not only is this the first Sunday in Advent, we, we also celebrate communion together today. We're returning to our pre-COVID format for communion. Again, if, if you want to pick up individual elements, you may do so, but we are passing the plates. Also, we are returning to our pre-COVID format for collecting tithes and offerings, so be aware of that. Now, because there is communion, we will not be having children's church or a children's sermon, but parents, talk to your children about communion. They're going to see this today. It's a very important time, very serious time. Take that time to spend with your children over communion. Again, welcome to you all. The Lord has brought us here today to worship him. So let's prepare our hearts now as Donna leads us in the prelude.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 8, and it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the foe and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little less than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. All the sheep and the oxen of the field as well as the animals in the wild. The birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and all those that swim along the paths of the seas. Oh Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth my friends. This points us certainly to God's created order of things. How humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. And he places everything under our feet. But perhaps you noticed a phrase there. The psalmist asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Psalm 8 not only points to who we are. But Psalm 8 pointed forward to the coming Christ. The son of man that would come to redeem God's people from their sins. Let us be mindful of this. Certainly, as we come to the table that is prepared before us, in light of Advent, yes, but in light of the salvation that we enjoy, in light of these things, what wonderful cause and call to worship do we have from God? Now, let's stand together and take our hymn books and sing number 170, O Come All Ye Faithful. Hymn number 170. Please stand with me.
Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, what a blessed thing it is that you have brought us here. And we have come, as we've just lifted up, to adore you. For you alone are worthy of our praise and honor and glory. Both in this Advent season and in every season. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your love, and for your mercy. And as we come together to worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us so that we would indeed worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. You may be seated. Now as we come to this portion of our worship service, this time where we go to God, let me encourage you to take this moment as we go to the Lord in silent prayer to consider what God has done for you in light of the season, yes, but in light of life. Consider that, thank Him, but also as we come to the table, take this time to confess your sins and prepare your hearts for the table, for communion. Let's go to our Lord now in silent prayer. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we are gathered in this place, we have so many reasons to be thankful. Certainly the fact that we are in a warm, dry building on a day like today, but not only that, we are in this place with so many visual reminders of the time of year that it is. This time of the year that is different from all others. This time of the year that points us to your love, to your son's sacrifice, to all these things and more that ought to fill our hearts with joy and gratitude. And yet, this time of the year can be very difficult. We are tempted to focus not on what we have and not on our blessings, but we're tempted to focus on those things that we don't have. 
We're tempted not to focus on the things that you've done, your acts of faithfulness, but instead we're tempted to focus instead on on, on those things that we would have much rather have happened. As we enter into this time, this, the first Sunday of Advent, we pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would be mindful that certainly we all share different experiences, we have different expectations, and yet remind us that we are one in Christ Jesus. Your Son and our Savior came and took on flesh and made His dwelling among us in order to redeem your people from their sins, in order to usher in your kingdom, and He shall reign forever and ever. Yet, Father, we know that while we celebrate Advent, we know that it is his return that seals these things. We know he's coming back. And yet, in the meantime, we do face struggles. As we wait on your son's return, we pray that we would be found amongst the faithful. Yet, as we deal with things like the loss of loved ones, like disappointment, like heartache, like physical problems, whether our own or the ones that we love, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That again, we would be mindful of what you have done for us and that we would be looking for your hand to be at work in our lives for we know you are there. And yet, Father, I pray for a special measure of your grace and your presence in this time. I pray it not only for us here at Old Providence, but for your church universal. In this world that is yearning, wondering, wandering, looking for truth. We know we have it. And yet, Father, we have missed so many opportunities to share it. We cannot go back, but we can go forward. Help us to be mindful of those opportunities you place before us. The, the large ones and the small ones. Those times when we can testify to your greatness to other people. And those times where we simply remember it ourselves. Let us not look down on either, but instead let us take every opportunity to testify to your greatness. In so doing, we pray that you would change the world around us. Again, we're tempted to believe this isn't possible, that things are going to continue to devolve and get worse and worse and worse. But we know, Father, that you have intervened in the course of human history so many times why we're here today to celebrate the greatest intervention at Advent. So please, keep us mindful, keep us ever watchful and ready to praise you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And now, let us stand together as we take our hymn books again and sing hymn number 147, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And on the last verse, I will ask the ushers to come forward to collect tithes and offerings. Well, let's stand now together and sing number 147.
may be seated. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, as we come to this portion of our service where we collect tithes and offerings, we pray that you would help us to be ever mindful, remembering the fact that everything we have is from you. And our call is to be good stewards. So we pray that you would bless the gift, that you would bless the giver, that you would be with our church, the leaders of our church, as we determine that best way to invest your money into your kingdom. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you very much, choir. What a wonderful reminder that is that there is freedom in Jesus Christ alone. It is only in his name that we are free. So thank you. Well, again, here we are. The first Sunday of Advent. If you haven't been told by anyone else, let me be the first to say to you, Merry Christmas. Everyone, indeed. I don't know what signifies the start of the Christmas season for you. Maybe it's the day after Thanksgiving. Maybe it's seeing the Christmas decorations up. But for me... Quite personally, it's the first Sunday of Advent. Now, I know I've been throwing that word around this morning. Advent, in its simplest definition, is defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And we in the church refer to this season as Advent because it points us to our Lord's incarnation. It it points us to Jesus taking on flesh, making his dwelling among us on that first Christmas some 2,000 years ago. And again, I I don't know what signifies the start of Christmas for you, but for me, it it is today. It's it's the Christmas carols that we're singing, the, the focus on Christmas itself. And it's also the first candle that is burning before you. If you can't see it there, different candles on the screen, but it's that first candle that is burning before you in our Advent wreath. Each week, we light a different candle until all are burning before us, and each week the candle we light represents something of vast importance as it relates to Christmas. So what does the candle burning before you represent on this, the first week of Advent? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and we will see. Now, as you're turning to Isaiah 9, you might be saying, Isaiah... Wait a second, it's supposed to be Christmas time. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. What does Isaiah have to do with Christmas and, and Jesus coming? Well, interestingly enough, the book of Isaiah is about God's word revealed through Isaiah for God's people, warning them of coming disaster if they refuse to turn back to God. And along with warning comes pronouncement of judgment. It's very serious judgment, but along with these pronouncements, we also find pronouncements of God's faithfulness. We find passages that are full of encouragement for those who would trust in him. That's why Isaiah has been called by some the fifth gospel, right? Because so much of Isaiah points to the promise of the coming Messiah, points to, uh, even though it was written 700 years before the first Christmas, we learn so much about who the Lord is, about what the Lord came to do. So that's why we're in Isaiah today. And that being said, we're going to start reading in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. But before we read anything, we need to go to the Lord and ask for help. So let's go to him now. Our Father, please guide us in this time. As we come to your word, we are aware of all the baggage from not only this past week, but from our entire lives that we bring with us. Baggage that may lead us to conclude things about you and conclude things about your word. We're tempted to see this, even though it was, or because it was written some 27 years ago, we're we're tempted to see this as irrelevant, as, as if it has nothing to do with today, how could it possibly apply, and so forth. We are tempted to bring our baggage with us and to color your promises in light of our disappointments. We're tempted to do other things as well. But Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would push these things aside. 
that you would even take the, the busyness of the season, all the trappings of the season, put, push those things aside, Father, by your Spirit, so that we would understand your word, so that we would understand also how it applies to us. We can't do this ourselves. The, the power is not in us to, to change our own hearts. Only you can change us, so please work by your Holy Spirit in us now, Father. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and, on the, and the rod on their shoulders, the, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. And its pr prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and well, before reading from Isaiah 9, I reference the candle that is burning before you. Have you been able, based on what we've read, to deduce that candle's meaning, what the first candle of the Advent wreath represents? Well, if you haven't from the passage we've read, perhaps you've looked at the bulletin and put two and two together, but the candle burning before you represents the hope of Christmas. But we need to be careful. Hope is one of those funny words, isn't it? The question, what does hope mean, ought to come to mind. It can be a loaded word. Different people mean different things when they use the word hope. Uh, and I find it an overused term. Most of the time, um, when people use the word hope today, it's in the context of wishing, right? I hope it doesn't get too cold, or I hope that the weather is good on Saturday so I'm not outstanding in the rain, or I hope I win the lottery and that sort of thing, right? But that's just wishing. When we wish for something, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. Hope, often enough, can be treated like an old wishing well where you, you toss in a coin or maybe a, a birthday cake with candles that you blow out or a shooting started. The reality is, y'all, hope can mean very little these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of living in hopeless times. Promises are made and not kept. Prosperity is offered, but is not delivered. 
people lose heart. We got that COVID angst thing still going on. We live in a time where hope, again, doesn't mean very much because there's no, there's no tangibility to it. There, there's no, no substance to it. We live in a world where maybe things will happen and maybe they won't happen, but probably the worst thing's going to happen because, hey, look at what's going on. Again, hope can mean very little these days. So we got to be careful because when we talk about the hope of Christmas, is, is that what we're talking about? Maybe something good will happen. Maybe it won't, but probably we should expect the worst. Well, we find the answer to that in our text today. As I mentioned before reading from Isaiah 9, the, the book of Isaiah itself is, is one of prophecy, <clears throat> where God called Isaiah to be his prophet, to carry his message to his people. And that message, primarily, again, it, it was a message of judgment. God's people had turned away from him, you see. They, they had decided that they would worship other gods, that they would rather turn their back on God's word and follow those of other nations, and they thought they would be just fine. In fact, many of them thought they would be much better off without the God of Israel. And so again, Isaiah was given a word of judgment. And y'all, that word of judgment was fierce. How fierce? Well, just listen to Isaiah 5, okay? Isaiah 5, 13 through 16. This is God speaking through Isaiah. He said, therefore, my people will go into exile because they lack knowledge. Her dignitaries are starving and her masses are parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol enlarges its throat and opens wide its enormous jaws and down go Zion's dignitaries, her masses, her crowds, and those who celebrate in her. Humanity is brought low. Each person is humbled and haughty eyes are humbled. But the Lord of armies is exalted by his justice. And the holy God demonstrates his holiness through his righteousness. How fierce was the judgment that was promised? One word comes to mind in light of all these things we just read, and it's comprehensive. The Lord said through Isaiah that he was going to completely judge his people. And Isaiah is full of these sorts of statements. This is just in chapter 5. But, but again, it's not only these statements that we find. Throughout Isaiah, we, we also find messages like we've read this morning from Isaiah 9. Messages of hope and encouragement that, that point to God always keeping his promises and preserving a people for himself. In Isaiah, it's clear that judgment is coming, but God give words, or gives words of, of real hope. They're for the people that will face judgment, but it goes beyond them, you see. It's, it's for future generations. Isaiah gives hope for you and me today. And again, just what hope is given given to them then, and given to us today. Well, we've read our passage already, but let's look at it a little bit more closely. In verse 1, Isaiah starts out by talking about gloom and the distressed land, and particularly the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But what is he talking about there? What's the source of gloom? Well, if you remember your Bible history, Isaiah is addressing the people of Judah in the southern kingdom. But remember that previously, Judah and Israel had split, right? You had the northern kingdom and the ten tribes, and you had the two in the south of Judah. But Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been destroyed in 720 B.C. What, 
what Isaiah is talking about here is the coming destruction of Judah if they didn't listen. He's talking about what the Lord is going to do to them if they don't turn back to God. But they don't care, you see. Already happened. You know, Judah made a fundamental mistake. They believed that God would never destroy them. They believed that they were way too important to God's work, to God's kingdom. And let me be clear, God did not destroy Judah completely. He did preserve a remnant of people for himself. But as far as the temple was concerned, as far as the people were concerned, remember it would be after this that Israel's, or excuse me, that Judah's young people would be taken north to Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those stories, Daniel, right? They would be decimated. You see, what Isaiah is doing here is he's saying to the people of Judah, hey, look, this has happened in Israel. It's going to happen to you if you don't turn around. And so verse 1 is talking about that destruction that had already befallen Israel in the north, where they were crushed. Even so, Isaiah says that despite this, in the future, God is going to honor that place again. He's going to honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Uh, These places are directly linked to the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, those funny-sounding names in that first verse. That's what all this business is about. But how is God going to do it? Israel's been destroyed. He says they're going to be blessed again. But how? Well, before we answer how, let's look at the blessing. Because it's a good one, y'all. Look at verse 2 again. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time. And as they rejoiced when when dividing the spoils. Y'all, this this blessing that God says is going to come. It's marvelous. God promised to bring them honor, to bless them. And that blessing looks like no more darkness. It looks like no more gloom, but instead it looks like light. And because they will see this great light, they're no longer going to dwell in darkness. That's what this blessing looks like first. The next thing this blessing looks like, it looks like an enlarged nation full of joy and rejoicing. And the two examples that God gives are the spoils of war, but also of a bountiful harvest. Now, I don't know anything about the spoils of war, but you all have taught me much about a bountiful harvest. That's what God said this coming promise, this coming blessing was going to be like. It would be like a bountiful harvest that you didn't even see coming. Where rain came at just the right time and the yield of the crops is so incredible that that, that you just stand back and you're so blessed by this. That's what God said would come. And why? Why will they be so rich? Why will the blessings be so wonderful? Well, that's where verses 4 and 5 come in. The reason the blessing will be of such joy, such light, such abundance is because when the blessing comes, peace will come with the blessing. Now, peace is one of those words that, again, it's loaded. God isn't promising quasi-peace here. He's not promising the kind of peace that the world has where we stop shooting at each other for a little while. He's talking about full, comprehensive peace. Y'all, if you've ever been through a really hard time, you know how much joy you can get from just a little bit of relief. 
right? You ever been in a situation that's so difficult and then it can be as small as somebody brings you a, 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 a beverage, somebody brings you a cup of coffee, or you hear one little bit of good news, or you just, sometimes it's just walking outside, leaving the difficult situation, just stepping outside. You know how much relief can be brought from just the smallest of things. But what God is talking about here is peace in all of its fullness. He's talking about glory. But the question is how? How would God accomplish his promises? How, how could God accomplish these things that he's promised? Well, this is where verse 6 comes in. He says the reason for it. The way that all of it's going to happen is for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You know, this is one of those things... That while we can relate to it in some ways, remember who this is written to. It's written for those in Israel in the north who have been destroyed. It's written for those in Judah that are going to be destroyed. The same ones that would hang their harps by the rivers of Babylon. Do you remember the song where the Babylonian captors said, play us one of your songs. Sing something joyful to us. And the psalmist wrote, <laughs> How can we sing the songs of Israel? How can we remember? My friends, this promise is given to a people that will feel extremely lost and perhaps even abandoned. But this promise is true. And it's sure. And it points to this immense blessing that God said He would give. This blessing so powerful that it'll wipe out gloom and darkness and instead fill His people with light. But the interesting thing is that it's based on a child. You might say a child. Really? Those who would have originally gotten this probably would have said, well, a child is nice, but maybe an army would be better. Perhaps another king, perhaps a destroyer, perhaps a plague, perhaps a who knows what. But a child? That's how you're going to accomplish this, God? Yes, a child, but you see, it's not just any child. Again, consider who the child is called. He's called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it talks about how his government will know no bounds. It will increase and grow and grow. And every bit of hope for the future rests on this one child in verse 6. Not just for the people of Judah. Not just for the people of Israel. The entire hope for humanity. Every single thing rests on this one child. Who is he? Well, we know that that child, that child promised, would be Jesus the Christ, born in Bethlehem that very first Christmas some 2,000 years ago. I asked earlier, what is the hope of Christmas? My friends, we have seen the answer. The hope of Christmas is nothing less 
and nothing more than the fact that Jesus Christ is King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And His reign will go on forever and ever. The hope of Christmas is that the Word became flesh and He made His dwelling among us. God came here. We'll talk about this as the Advent season goes on, but we cannot begin to understand the sense of loss. Where God the Son was in perfect communion in heaven with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, He never felt pain. He never felt cold. We know also from John 1 that everything was made through Him. Nothing was made that wasn't made through Him. And yet, being fully human, He was at the mercy. Mary and Joseph and others. The hope of Christmas is that He did this. And He did this because of God's promise, yes. But because of God's love. God the Son came on, or came and, and took on flesh. He came to be a part of us, not just as a tourist, not just as a special dispensation. No, God the Son took on flesh so that He could represent us. Yes, so that He could represent us before the Father, absolutely, so that He could represent us as He judges the world. Yes, but most importantly, he came so that He could represent us as He hung on the cross and took the wages of sin that we've earned. The hope of Christmas is that in Christ there is forgiveness and there is promise of peace forevermore. And all of it because Jesus came. And He made His dwelling among us. First, yes. But ultimately because while His work started in the manger... It was completed on the cross. His work, you see, was to die for the sins of his people. As I just alluded to, we know from God's word, from Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But we also know that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality is this about sin and death. Y'all, it's the wages of sin and we have all earned our wages. The beauty of Christmas the glory of the Advent season is that Christ came to be your representative and take your sins for you, from you, if you would follow Him and trust in Him. If you've done that, marvelous. But if you haven't, realize that in Him there is hope alone. There is life alone, there is purpose alone. And it is all in Jesus Christ. This is why we have the candle that is burning before us representing hope Yes, but this is also why we have the table set before us as well. The table that holds the bread pointing us to Christ's body that was broken for us. The table that holds the cup that represents his blood poured out for us. And all of these things point us to real hope, not the hope of this world. Not just vague wishing, but instead the hope of the scriptures, which is faith in action. You know, that's what hope really is. Hope is not a wish. Real hope is faith in action. Faith with wheels on it so that it moves and it goes with you. Hope is the stuff of planning and belief. That's why our hope cannot be based on anything other than Christ. 
can't be based on anything the world offers. It can't be based on one another because we will disappoint. We will lose heart. Our hope must be in Christ alone. And so I must ask you, what is the basis of your hope? If it's anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, then my friend, I love you enough to tell you that you have no hope. But if you'll turn to him, if you'll recognize what he has done for you, if you'll trust him, ask him to be Lord of your life, you will have every hope. Look at the table. Look, look at the flame. Realize what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And turn to him. But if you've done that already, take this time, this Advent season, not, not in light of your circumstances, not in light of anything else. Take your time, take the time this Advent season to focus on Christ and your joy, your gratitude will be renewed. You'll realize that the gloom of this world and all its distress, it's only temporary. Take heart as you come to the table. If you have not turned to him, turn to him now. Receive the free offer of the gospel and you'll be changed forever. And you too can have the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. We praise you that in the midst of a time that is so hopeless, where people have trusted in so much foolishness and so many things that have disappointed and, and, and have, been, have been anything but what they promised to be, we have the promise of your word. We have Jesus Christ who came and took our sins. We have Jesus Christ who is coming back. And he will reign forever and ever. Oh, Father, that we would remember these things. That we would live in light of them. That we would make choices in light of your promises, trusting in you. For those of us that have made that commitment, renew us again and again. That we would trust in you every day. But for those who have not, oh, Father, work in their hearts now. That they would see their need. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we come into this time, despite the fact that it is Advent, we are still following our tradition, which is a very good one, of singing Bible song number 242. Let's stand and sing the first two stanzas. And then we will take communion together. But Bible song 242.
You may be seated. My friends, as we come into this time, we should come with grateful hearts, and let me invite you to come to this table with us. However, be warned. Communion is for those that belong to the body of Christ, for all those who are Christians. And furthermore, communion is for those that are living by faith alone, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by mere benevolence, as in everybody goes to heaven and hell doesn't exist. No, it is through Jesus Christ alone, for he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no one will come to the Father but by him. And no one should come to this table but by him. Now I need to clarify something. Do I mean by saying this that we must be perfect to take communion? The answer to that, thankfully, is no. For you see, if coming to this table required perfection, none of us could take it and I certainly couldn't serve it. In fact, if perfection on our own part were possible, this table would not exist. Do you realize that? If we could be perfect on our own, if we could work our way into heaven, God would have just said, work harder next time. Try harder. Give up more. Do this, do that. No, no, no. That's, that's not what he said. That's not what he did. As we've talked about this morning, he took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us so that he could represent us. So if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I welcome you. But, again, be warned. Communion is not only for those who trust in Jesus Christ alone, it is for those who are living in right relationship with him. That doesn't mean living perfectly, but what it does mean is trusting in him and relying on him and confessing your sins and making sure there's not something that you won't turn loose. Listen to the words of warning in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It says, A man and a woman, that's understood, ought to examine himself or herself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. The question is, what does it mean to recognize the Lord? This is not just about being a Christian. This is about how you live in your life. If there is sin that you won't turn loose, if there is bitterness in your heart, if there is rebellion against God, if there is something in your life that you have concluded that God's just going to have to get over, or that you're going to keep on doing it, and God will just forgive you eventually anyway, the bread and the cup are not for you. The warning given here is real. Communion is not just about remembering this is a spiritual time as we are called into the presence of God. And therefore, I call on you as the herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ to examine yourself, as 1 Corinthians 11 says. If there is something you need to deal with, if there's sin that you need to repent of, confess it now to the Lord. Take it to Him and ask for His forgiveness. And then eat, drink, be lifted spiritually into the presence of Christ to receive the benefits of what it means to belong to Him. But if you won't do that, then let it pass for your sake. My friends, this table points us to the sacrifice, the sacrifice of, of God's Son and our Savior. In it, God grabs us and gives us a good shake and says, Look at what I did for you. 
Let us live in light of what he has done. Remembering, yes, but living out this salvation that we enjoy. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for his body and and for his blood poured out. Our Father, we thank you for your sacrifice through your Son. We thank you for the body of Christ which was broken. We thank you for his blood that was poured out. And we thank you that right here, right now, you lift us spiritually into your presence. Oh, Father, that we would examine ourselves, realizing this table is not for the perfect, but is for those who are trusting. Give us grateful hearts. Remind us again and again of your sacrifice for us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11... Paul writes that, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the bread comes, hold the element, and we will participate together. I'll ask the ushers to come forward.
Again, our Lord said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat all of it. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 11 that in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
This is the blood of Christ shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink all of it. My friends, the bread and the cup have been passed, and by God's goodness, he has given us this time together. Let's now close by singing the last stanza of number 242. I love the Lord. Please stand with me. If you would have hope this Christmas, this Advent season and beyond, it will be only by calling on the name of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.